you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 31. As we continue our study in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 31, we've been trekking through the Old Testament on the story of God's people, his chosen people, the Israelites, and how God was using this man, Abraham, the first Hebrew man, to be the patriarch, the leader of the Jewish nation. Because it was through this line that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, would come. And so, because Jesus would come through the line of Abraham, it was very important that the Jews had this historical record. They looked at the genealogies and they looked at the accounts of the men and women that God had in line all the way from Adam to Abraham to David to Mary. You see, God desired to be the savior of you and I, of you and me, because he loved us so dearly. And yet sometimes, even as we know it in our minds and in our hearts, that God loves us, we still fight with him. We have this flesh inside of us, this human nature that wars with God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, still finds mercy in us finite beings that when we wrestle with him, when we fight with him, he still loves us. I titled the study tonight, Wrestling with God. And we are going to see the account of Jacob, this man who is known as a manipulator, a liar, a thief, how he wrestled with God in his life and found favor. If you remember last week when we left off, Jacob was dwelling with his uncle Laban and he had wives and many children from Rachel and Leah and their maidservants. He had this large family and it seemed that everything that Jacob did and touched would prosper even as he lived with his uncle Laban. So much so that his uncle was seeing Jacob's profits expand, yet his profits were, were not. And this caused a anger to stir up within Laban. And it was because of this very anger that Jacob told his wives that they needed to leave, that they needed to leave their father's house so that they can grow as a family. And this is where we leave off is he's explaining this to Rachel and Leah. So if you look at Genesis chapter 31, Beginning with verse 14, he says, Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. If you remember, Jacob, when he went to go visit his uncle Laban, fell in love, deeply in love with Rachel. Laban tricked him into marrying the elder sister, Leah. And then also included afterwards his wife, Rachel, as part of another marriage. But Jacob had no means to give a dowry to his uncle. So instead of a dowry he offered to serve Laban 
for seven years per daughter. That's 14 years. And as he was serving, this was to be a dowry. Now, a dowry was placed in a marriage as a sort of alimony. If there was, for some reason, the husband passed away or a divorce, the wife, so that she was not left alone with no means of financial support without provision, her mother and father would have kept a dowry saved for her just in case that would happen. But Laban, in fact, had completely consumed the money of Rachel and Leah that he was supposed to be saving for them. And what we're seeing is more of Laban's schemes revealed against Jacob, who is also a schemer himself. It says in verse 16, For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really our, ours and our children's. Now then, Whatever God has said to you, do it. So as Jacob explains to his wives, we need to move. They're basically saying, hey, if God told you, let's go. And that's always a positive response, the proper response. When God tells you to do something, go do it. In verse 17, then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels. And he carried away all his livestock and all his possess- possessions, which he had gained, his acquired livestock, which he had gained in Paddan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. So this is excitement now. They're, they're finally going back home. Jacob, if you remember, when he left, he did not leave on good terms. He left because his brother Esau was angry enough to kill him because Jacob had stolen Esau's birthright and then deceived their father. He disguised himself and stole that special spiritual blessing to be the leader, the patriarch, the next successor in the family. But now Jacob is desiring to return home. It says in verse 19, Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep. And Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? That Rachel is taking these idols. I wonder why Rachel would have taken these idols. Perhaps she still had some form of idolatry still in her heart that she needed to get rid of. If you recall, Laban was known for being versed in divination and experience that, that's witchcraft. So I, I, I'm, I'm questioning why Rachel would have stolen these household idols. And the other funny thing, to Laban, these are his gods. It's a pretty sad day when your god can be stolen from you. You see, our god... He can't be taken away. It's foolish to think uh, that someone could take away the God. So if you find yourself with gods that can be stolen from you, you need a better God. That's Jesus. Verse 20, And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban, the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. Now keep in mind, Jacob had used Laban's own schemes against Laban to gain more livestock and property than Laban had. So now that Jacob is leaving after profiting off of Laban, it would make sense that Laban would be very upset. So Laban is going to chase after Jacob. It says in verse 22, And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. 
But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. So look at the scene here. We have Laban pursuing after his nephew and his family because he's angry, he's upset. Jacob's on the run. And Laban perhaps sought to seek him harm to steal back maybe his wives, his grandchildren. This is a scary moment for Jacob. But what do we see in verse 24? That God intervenes. God went to Laban in a dream. And it's kind of interesting how God has that ability to enter into dreams. We saw that again with Abraham and Abimelech. God stopped Abimelech from touching Abraham's wife, Sarah, through a dream. And in verse 25, it says, So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. Laban here, we see he's definitely upset. Now whether he would have sent off his daughters in celebration or with discontentment, it's uncertain. But we see that Jacob was afraid and took off quickly. In verse 29, it says, It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. You see, again, we see God intervening. I love how God is our protector how when the enemy is against us, God has that ability to do the miraculous, to completely stop an attack against his children. I'm reminded of when the Israelites were traveling through the wilderness and the Amalekites had came against them. And then this battle raged on as the Amalekites were trying to wipe out the Israelites. And Moses saw all of his people now in battle. And so he goes to the top of this hill and prays to God with his arms lifted high, surrendering to God. And the account tells us that whenever he had his hands up, the Israelites would begin to win. But as his hands would grow tired as he's holding his rod, when his arms fell, the Israelites would begin to lose. And Aaron and Hur, his companions, came alongside of him and lifted up his arms so that his arms would stay up so that God would intervene. And the battle was won because God gave them victory. And I, I can imagine that as Moses is there, in the account we recall that Moses calls God Jehovah Nisi in that moment, meaning the Lord is my banner. And I'm wondering if perhaps as he looked out at the Amalekites and saw the Amalekites and their massive army and their banners that they would wave to war, Moses looked up and said, the Lord is my banner. Our God is greater than all the idols that are here on this world. God is our banner, meaning he is that God who fights for us. So he intervened, God intervened with Laban. He stopped Laban from attacking Jacob. And in verse 30, it says, And now 
you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? So Laban, uh uh-oh, is accusing now Jacob of stealing the idols. And Jacob has no idea that Rachel was the one who took the cookies from the cookie jar. She took them away. And says in verse 31, Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So the plot thickens. Now Jacob is making these these words saying that if he finds whoever took them, that they can die. Jacob really shouldn't be saying this, but he doesn't know that his wife was the one who stole the items. And then verse 33, And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. You know what what I love about our God is when we seek him, we find him. It's sad if you can lose your God. It's sad if your, your idols, your gods are, can be taken away from you. You see, our God is always present. And when we seek him, he reveals himself. He's just there waiting to pour love. But Laban is searching now, and it says in verse 35, And she said to her father, Let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. (laughs) Interesting. So Rachel takes these idols she stole. She hides them in the saddle and jumps on the, the saddle of the donkey. And then when her father comes to look around in that area, she says, oh, don't let it displease you for I'm having my, my menstrual cycle right now. And the father wanted nothing to do with that, so he searched elsewhere. There's an interesting passage concerning this menstrual cycle rag. It's in the Bible. Without getting too graphic, in Isaiah chapter 64, verses 5 through 6, it says this, You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. And that literal translation for filthy rags, was the menstrual rag. That's what it looks like when we try to have our works make our way to God. When we try to replace the relationship of God, with God, with works. God sees it as something that's disgusting. Filthy rags. Now, as we continue with Laban searching for his idols. It says in verse 36, Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin? That you have so hotly pursued me. Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren, and your brethren, that they might judge between us both. 
Now notice here how Jacob is ignorant of Rachel's stealing and therefore charges Laban with slander. And he's so zealous about this. He's saying, I didn't take anything. You could search. How dare you? And it says in verse 38, these 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. You see, Jacob served these 20 years under Laban faithfully. And it was during this time where Jacob was learning responsibility. You see, it it was proper for the shepherd, the worker of a man who was taking care of another's flocks. It was proper for that person, the shepherd, to also partake from the lamb and eat of it. If a a wolf or a lion came and, and stole away that beast, the shepherd was to try to fight him off. But if he couldn't, it was the owner's loss, not the shepherd's. But Jacob is telling Laban, whenever there was a miscarried young, whenever there was a lamb that was torn by a beast, I would always replace that lamb with my own flock. And that was the responsibility that Jacob was taking. He was now learning in a, in a way to take responsibilities for his actions. To not let other people take the blame and to not be manipulative. But to stand with what God has called him to. Now in verse 40, Jacob continues, There I was in the days the drought consumed me, and the frost by night and my sleep departed from my eyes. See, Jacob had hard work, lack of sleep, as he, as he counted sheep. In verse 41, Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. I underlined in my Bible, in verse 42, the fear of Isaac. That's a, a very cool title for God, the fear of Isaac, meaning the fearful, awesome God. And in verse 43, and Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters and these children are my children and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine, but what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born? Now, therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Laban here is recognizing that God has blessed Jacob, and that he must do Jacob no wrongdoing. In verse 45, so Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there on the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Jagar Sahadutha is Aramaic and Galid is Hebrew. And they both mean the same thing, witness pile. And what we see from this is that Aramaic is harder to pronounce than Hebrew. Uh, Verse 48. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid, also Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent 
one from another. If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Now, this farewell that Laban is giving, this Mizpah, he calls it, it's not a nice farewell. It's basically, look, God is watching you when I'm not there. So you better be honorable towards me even when I'm away. And it's kind of the, the attitude that Laban has towards Jacob. But that word Mizpah, it means watchtower. And when I think of the watchtower, I think of the watchman who is on that tower, warning the city of the enemy that is going to approach. I'm reminded of Ezekiel chapter 33. How God told Ezekiel to be like that watchman. That if people were not warned of the enemy that was approaching. Now this enemy he's referring to, it's the enemy of sin, of death, of hell. If people were not warned of it, and if they died in their sins, the watchman would be the one to blame. That their blood would be on his hands. And I'm taking that seriously. A, a message for, for myself that if I, I don't proclaim the gospel and I, I come across my family members, my friends, my coworkers, if I don't get that message across, then their blood is on my hands. So I need to warn people. There, there is discernment in, in sharing, asking God to open a door, not pushing doors open and not forcing religion into, into people's lives, but allowing your life to speak first and foremost by the Holy Spirit. But then when God opens that door for you, you must speak. You must say truth with love. God goes on to tell Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 33 that if he tells the people and warns them of the danger to come and they don't listen to him, then he will be free from their blood. You see, this is what I love about evangelism is God's not looking to, to count the numbers of how many converts you make. He just wants you to be obedient despite how many converts come to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. And you might be someone who's planting a seed or watering a seed. But you may be blessed to see it take fruit. Now, as Laban and, and Jacob are departing from one another, in Genesis, it says in verse 51, Then Laban said to Jacob, Here is this heap, and here is this pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap, this pillar, to me for harm. Keyword for harm. And in verse 53, the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. There it is again, the fear. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. I love how in verse 54, Jacob is offering a sacrifice to God. When we first saw Jacob giving an offering to God, it was when he was at Bethel. And he slept there and he saw the angels coming to and fro the ladder. When he woke up, he said, surely God is here. So he opened his oil and poured it out on the rock. 
And there he called that place the house of God, Bethel. Jacob here is doing it again. He's sacrificing on the mountain to God. And what I see in this is that there is progress in Jacob's life. He is coming to know God as his own personal God and Savior. And we see progression in other believers' lives. Sometimes it's not a full-blown, 100% surrendered and dedicated believer. Sometimes people need to go through that, that growth. God takes them through that. So we need to be patient with people at times. In verse 55, And early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. See, God was in control the whole time. Continuing to verse chapter 32, verse 1. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. What a cool first verse, right? The angels of God meeting you. This is when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called it the name of the place, Mahanaim, meaning God's hosts, meaning double camp, two armies. See, God is the God of hosts, this innumerable amount of angels is on God's army. Sometimes I'll ask, I'll just say, God, dispatch some of your angels on me tonight because I just feel like I'm in spiritual warfare. You can do that. In verse three, then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them saying, speak thus to my Lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. So he's coming to his brother Esau. Remember the last time we saw Esau, he wanted to kill Jacob. And he's coming now when when Jacob left he had nothing but now he's coming back and so he tells messengers to go before him and say hey look I'm, I'm coming and I got stuff because perhaps Esau was expecting Jacob to come back asking for money as a beggar we don't know but he wanted Esau to know he had possessions and then in verse 6 then the messengers returned to Jacob saying we came to your brother Esau, and he is also coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. That's a large number of men now coming with Esau. And Jacob at this point is probably wondering, thinking, man, I think Esau might have some ill intent to bring this many people with him. And whether or not Esau was intending to to harm Jacob, we're not sure of, but We can definitely see this grandeur move with this large 400 army. And then in verse 7, So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him, and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. Now, Jacob here, he was acting with much fear in his heart. This is what I see. This idea that one part of your family would be sacrificed for the other, and he wasn't sure which side, that's got to be something tough to go through. This is this father, this husband. And Because he is greatly afraid and distressed, the Bible says. I have to wonder if his eyes are now getting more focused on the enemy rather than on God. 
Look at verse 9. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. See, Jacob recognizes, he knows what God did in his life. He left his home with nothing but a staff, and now he's coming with two companies. It says in 11, Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. In verse 11, Jacob was very honest with God. He said, I'm, I'm, I fear my brother Esau, that he's going to come and attack me. I think we need to be honest with God. I think God honors that honesty. And sometimes maybe in our hearts we're like, oh, God, just uh, help me to be kinder to my brother, to show kindness to him. And really in our heart we're like, God, just get rid of this car. I just want to, yeah. Sometimes we get so upset and we try to act so pious with God. God knows our hearts. I think we need to be reverent with God. But also, when we allow ourselves to be honest with God, I believe he honors that. So Jacob is doing the smart thing now. Instead of trying to scheme, he's praying. He's praying for deliverance. It says in verse 13, So he lodged there that same night, and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. See, Jacob was quite successful as a farmer, as a husbandman. So he had gathered some gifts now to send ahead. Look at verse 16. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every dro drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau my brother meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong? And where are you going? Who are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he is also behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the droves, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. See what he's doing here? How quickly he's praying to God and asking for God to protect him. And then he gets right back to work of like, all right, well, let's send the gifts to Esau now because we've got to make sure that he's happy when he comes. And whether this is wisdom or not, we're not sure, but it's recorded. So that as Esau was going to approach Jacob, all of a sudden all these gifts would be coming his way in successive droves. And now in verse 20, and also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on before him. But he himself lodged that night in the camp. So he separates now away from these droves, away from his two companies. And he gets alone. 
Now Aziz has a big day tomorrow meeting his brother and whether that's going to come with conflict or not, he's not sure. But he gets alone because he needs rest. He needs to pray. And the funny thing is though, it's one of those nights where God doesn't let him sleep. And probably one of the nights where he thinks he needs the most sleep. He probably got none. You'll see what I'm saying. Look at verse 22. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Notice how man is capitalized in our Bibles. And what terrible timing that someone would wrestle with you on the night that you need sleep. In verse 25, now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. So this wrestling of Jacob and this man, the man begins to not have victories. So the man touches Jacob's hip, pulls it out of place. There was some grip that that was there. And then in verse 26, and he said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. You see what Jacob's doing here? As they're wrestling, he's fighting. And we could imagine that as he's fighting, he, he's perhaps maybe angry and just like, ah, oh, bless me and don't, I'm not going to let you go. Sometimes we don't get the whole context in just one passage of the Bible. But it's interestingly enough that in the book of Hosea, it teaches us the emotion that Jacob had as he wrestled with God. You don't need to turn there, but in Hosea chapter 12, verses three through five, it says, he took his brother by the hill in the womb, this is Jacob, and in his strength, he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spoke to us, that is, the Lord God of hosts. But you notice, Jacob wept as he struggled with God. He was begging with God after everything that he had done on his own strength. You see, perhaps God, the angel that is wrestling which, spoiler alert, it is God he's wrestling with it. And perhaps God was just waiting for Jacob to submit, waiting for Jacob to surrender. You see, God could have overpowered him at any moment, but he allowed Jacob to wrestle because he's wanting Jacob to just let go, to let God take control. And because Jacob's not letting go, he's fighting so hard, God has to take the socket out of his hip. Bah! Pops it, breaks him. Now he's a broken man. Physically, emotionally, he's just weeping. Spiritually, he's broken. 
I think some of us need to wrestle with God sometimes. I think we need to have that wrestling moment where we allow God to have victory in our hearts and in our minds. That we would surrender to him and perhaps we can do that without having our hip taken out of place, spiritually speaking. And as God is there wrestling with Jacob, Jacob asked this, bless me. And he's weeping. And finally, God asks him, what's your name? And Jacob says, my my name is Jacob. Meaning that manipulative person that that steals, grabs someone else at their heels. And God says, you're no longer going to be called Jacob anymore, but Israel. And the name Israel, it means someone who's wrestled with God and has found victory. It means someone who's governed by God, no longer the manipulator, no longer the thief, the liar, but someone who's governed by God. Jacob is a new man in this moment, completely broken. And God did bless him. I think in our lives, sometimes we wrestle with God when we don't have to. I think sometimes we are just holding on to those idols that in our hearts, in our minds that we need to let go of. And God wants to take those things but we need to trust him, have faith that he is sovereign and able to remove sin, able to remove anxiety, fear, depression, the trial from us, that he's able to bless us. Look at verse 29. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. This, in fact, is what many Bible scholars to believe as a Christophany of Jesus in the Old Testament, wrestling with Jacob. So he asks him, almost in rebuke, why why are you asking about my name? And he blesses him. And then in verse 30, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat that muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Now it's interesting how Jacob for the rest of his life now would have this limp in his walk. You see, whenever he would walk and limp and he would feel that pain, he would remember God's on the throne, that God is victorious over the struggle in my life. He would remember that God had to break him greatly before God can use him greatly. He would remember that God took away his old self, Jacob, and gave him a new name, Israel. See, sometimes in our life, God does allow us to go through brokenness. God allows us to experience some great trials in our life because he knows that when we feel that pressure, that pain, we're going to lean on him to take over control that we don't have to manipulate and scheme and strive in our flesh, that we can allow God to take over the situation, that we don't have to be like Jacob, but we can be like Israel, governed by God. Read ahead the next chapter before we meet together next week and see what the Spirit has to say to you. But I believe that 
God wants us to give him control. I believe that there's things in our life that we're holding on to that God desires us to just surrender. So let's do that. Let's pray now and ask that God would be victorious over our wrestlings with him. And if that's you and you want prayer, you want to talk, feel free, message us. Let us know. We would love to pray with you. And may you go forward this week. Go forward with the Holy Spirit, knowing that God has everything planned. That when you submit to him, you will get to live that purpose-filled life with contentment, with joy, with peace. May God take you on that awesome adventure that he has waiting for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and grace, for your mercy. Go before us, we pray. We thank you, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins. We ask for forgiveness. I pray and I ask, Lord Jesus, that if there's those who are wrestling in their hearts and in their minds, and they want to surrender, may your Holy Spirit empower them to do so. We love you, Jesus. Fill us, use us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'll see you guys Sunday morning. Stick around one more song of worship.